so, all right, with that, welcome to The Drop, ladies and gentlemen, episode 102. Uh, with me today, uh, your humble host, Nancy Jundi, COO of Digital Film Tree, is our senior colorist and CTO, Thomas Gallion. Hello. And then also <laughs> our director of data and content security, one miss, Aaron White. Hello. Uh, you'll notice that we all wear a few hats here. And uh, in, in the off hours, I'm also our CFO. And so we all have something of a hybrid role here at Digital Film Tree. And this is important, especially with today's guests, because they started in positions that are very different than the ones that they have now. And there is an exceptional fondness for dailies. Uh, I think that most people see dailies now as something of a... Uh, it's just dailies. And you're going to hear about that a little bit more in another episode with our dailies team. But both Aaron, who oversees every ounce of information that comes into this house or goes out of it, uh, she herself still has such a huge romance, not only for dailies, but archival, the protection of camera masters, how they're stored, how we care for them. And then Thomas is actually one of the main architects of how we do those things here. And it's always fun to send him back into dailies, chat with our team, and watch him go, whoa, they've done so many brilliant things since. They have. So thank you both for coming in here because I know that you prefer the dark night cover of Bay One. One of our dailies technicians lovingly refers to it as the Star Trek Enterprise. I like that. Historically, specifically, these two come up with so many genius innovations in that room, and this is kind of like an opportunity to be a fly on the wall. Uh, with that, uh, would you guys mind giving us a quick introduction on, one, how you guys got started, not just in dailies, but in, in the whole world of post-production, and uh, kind of what dailies actually means to you? Uh, for me, actually, it's it's been a very different turn because I actually thought I would get into visual effects uh, when I first started um, after seeing Terminator. That's that's the role I wanted to assume, uh, and then I quickly felt that everybody like had already worked their way up at ILM, and so I probably would be, like claim to fame would be like drawing hair on an animated character. <laughs> and that would, be, that would be it for me and <laughs> my lot in life. So um, I went to film school, got into, did some of production, but it led me back to post-production and editing and uh, putting the uh, finished product together. And so from that, then I moved out here from Florida and uh, started uh, with another company uh, in the industry and um, became their first person to do post-digitizing. Up until that point, this was probably about 18 years ago. So at that time, uh, all of the digitizing was actually done in Telecine when it was filmed to tape. And the telecine um, artist, the colorist, in addition, would just have Avid. And then the assistant editors would go in on night shifts and actually digitize and have that be part of their job. And then they decided um, that post-digitizing to have a post facility take that on. 
So I became the first person at that other company to have that role. Yeah, you did. And uh, from there. Wait, so those were night shifts for you? You were. No, no, actually, I was the first person. So like it'd be done at the morning. That's why I always love early mornings and everybody thinks I'm nuts. But <laughs> I go in at, yeah. <laughs> at like three in the morning and like work until one. And that would be my shift. And we'd digitize and turn it over like a hard drive to editorial. And they would get it in and prep it. So. Did you ever stand there and watch Tell Us Any Happen? Mm -hmm. Was it like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for you? Because that's what it was like for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like putting it up on, putting the film up on the big ranks and then seeing it go from there and like actually going into like the Avids. They eventually moved us uh, to a different room. Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of because I commandeered it, but because <laughs> I said um, if it could be done on Avid at the time, which it was, I also wanted to see if it could be done on Final Cut Pro. Can I ask you, because that, that's a really good point, mm -hmm. like how many Avids did you guys have at the time? Five within the Telecine bays, but this was also um, shortly after I um, started post-digitizing was also the transition into high definition. Yeah. So that was the other change to get higher uh, quality Avids, you know, that were separated out. Uh, when they were in the color bays, it was still standard def, and basically you're just basic yeah. at the time. Just for a bit of context, because I, I too was in the industry 15, 20 years ago, and Avids were nowhere near as affordable as they are today, but they right. also weren't so egregiously expensive that you couldn't have five. Mm -hmm. um, but it was still, that's why I asked, like five just for telecine is like yeah. shocking in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, with that, Tomas, sorry, his name is really Thomas, but <laughs> tell us. All I, right. Brace yourself. No, I'm no, no, so no. ready. I, I wish I had like a, a cooler story. I, I'm, I started getting into video at a young age. I was very fortunate that the high school I went to had a sort of budding TV department. Everything was tape decks and studio cameras, more like uh, like like a news broadcast, basically. So everything was live. Uh, we would shoot sporting events and uh, news segments and things like that. And what was really cool about that school is that the professor there was very open. So if, if, if I'm a tinkerer at heart, uh, I say that the quickest way to learn something is to break it. Um, and so I was really fortunate that this person would let me work in this really complicated studio and let me break things uh, all the time. And he gave me a little room for me to make my own edit bay. And so the edit bay was, of course, tape decks and you had editing control. And Are you like leading that. us into a tape to tape edit world? That's where I started. That's where I started. Yeah. And and it, honestly, it was great, but it took a lot of time to actually transition from that into Avid. So I was also very fortunate that uh, a later school that I went to uh, for college had a massive army of Avids and very few people knew how it worked and uh, we were also digitizing, but it was school projects, so it wasn't anything near the scale uh, that a facility would work with. And Avid scared me, I think, for like two years um, where projects that I would have to do, I would, I would be like, can I, can I go back to my tape editing room? <laughs> I've got my edit on paper and just translating it from paper to Avid for whatever reason took me a lot of time to like 
figure out. And then of course you had Final Cut and Premiere. Since school, uh, I my passion was always, and my focus was always on animation actually. So I was an overachiever and I thought I would go in for animation and um, video production. And it just so happened that halfway through that process, the animation department kind of went away. And so I had a chance to do some studying with like the Academy of Art and trying to do more 3D animation as that was sort of budding and taking off. What were you doing that on? Like uh, That was Maya and then Motion Builder is what we were using for mocap. So I- Fun fact, I'm just trying to point out how many different softwares this man has in his brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, was, I was very lucky very lucky to be able to play and ultimately break everything so that I had a good understanding of how it worked. Um, and where I moved on from there, it, it's actually, there's, there is a through line I didn't really put together until we were talking about it, is that it is, I've very, been very self-directed. So after that, I was doing uh, commercials and uh, work for the web where I was shooting, doing sound, uh, editing kind of whatever the job needed and so as part of that I was learning how to use you know everything After Effects, Premiere, Final Cut. Fun story is when I started at Digital Film Tree the... And you started where? I started in dailies yeah, at Digital did. Film Tree. It was uh, that is a good that was a good time too so I was transitioning from a, uh, a, a commercial uh, house in Temecula and I got a call and they're like oh we need someone to do dailies tonight and I'm like tonight that's crazy <laughs> and and so right when I came into the building I saw on the wall these DVDs and I looked at it and I was like oh what is that and I was like those are the teaching DVDs that taught me Final Cut when I needed it Aww. so I came in and I was like okay I know I'm in the right place and um, I kind of love that that's actually both of your stories that you both were introduced to editorial on Avid really I mean tape to tape for you but like because the experience for even our age bracket but certainly everyone younger than us has mostly been Final Cut Pro or now even Premiere mm -hmm. but literally when we entered it was still a novelty to actually be able to afford sit at an avid right. yourselves um well so to to actually talk about the title of this episode what the fuck is geopost so again i'm talking to the two people outside of rami who are responsible for uh just flat out gonna say it to live on camera forever part of white digital film tree if not the part of why Digital Film Tree did not just survive the pandemic, but thrive during it, is because this was not, Geopost was not built for the pandemic. If anything, Geopost was built for the 405. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. uh, Thomas, you can talk about all of the sessions that you already had 2017, 18, 19, something like that. Yeah, Geopost started. Correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron. Geopost started uh, in, in dailies, and we started, I believe, with Cougar Town. Uh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was shortly thereafter, which became what was known as uh, the infancy of Geopost at yeah. the time with the show's Mistresses and Perception, yeah. where they wanted to do sessions for the executive producers and not have to have them always come here, especially when season four of Mistresses moved to Vancouver. Right. And so we were setting up to have color sessions at that time. Uh, 
what the gear um, might not be the same as it's grown out to be now, which <laughs> Thomas can talk yeah. about. Well, so that was a question I wanted to ask because I want to make sure uh, this is why we're doing these, right? Mm -hmm. So GeoPost might be the overall brand, if you will, in how we encompass GeoDailies and GeoFinishing, mm -hmm. but GeoDailies has become something far more than it was. Correct. GeoFinishing is a beast that keeps getting tweaked. We now even offer 5.1 surround sound right. with these deployed systems. But so far as GeoDailies is concerned, like you said, we actually deploy gear into the field. Yes. And so we'll get into the whole, what is truly camera to cloud? How are people lying about it being camera to cloud? How we are camera to cloud, et cetera, et cetera. Viewers at home, uh, we're going to unpack that maybe in this episode a little bit, but definitely down the line because mm -hmm. camera to cloud is such a hot buzzword that I don't know that everyone truly understands. We're going to get there. These are the people that are going to unpack that. But geo dailies and geo finishing and geo post itself are all different pieces and parts that make a seamless camera to cloud review at home wherever you may be on happen. So I did not know this, that we were doing geodailies on Cougar Town. Yeah. So unpack that, like maybe from where we were and what went out in the field, if anything, versus then where we kind of are today with geodailies. So at that point, it was uh, also probably uh, a person uh, out in the field. I was, so this is, I, I can help you with this because okay. I was, I was were on you Cougar the Town. Okay. I was, we were, we were, yeah, so the, the, the original idea, and that was a really good explanation, Nancy, because the GeoPost is like all encompassing, right? It's, it's, you know, we have remote dailies or geo dailies, geo finishing, geo color. Uh, we're trying to get the whole package of post in a remote fashion. And yeah, it, it started with dailies, and I was the person. Uh, that 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 started this out. Um, previously, you're absolutely right. There was a person that would go on set to help out with dailies, and uh, for whatever reason, they determined that that wasn't necessarily efficient. So we had so different from a DIT. Correct, mm -hmm. correct. So we at the time we were putting dailies operators and colorists out in the field to to best light work with the DP and to try and produce dailies as efficiently as possible in the field. Um, and where we made the shift in Cougar Town is instead of doing uh, that processing in the field, uh, we started using the internet to transport media to digital film tree so that we can use the hardware of the building to kind of produce that a lot quicker. Um, and then at the time too, we were, we were testing different ideas on getting media as efficiently as possible to editorial to work on. And so some of the shows were even doing like a hybrid where it was half over the internet and drives just as a backup in case mm -hmm. one failed or, or, or something of that nature. And so I think from those two beginnings started to become the full GeoDailies workflow. And that became so prevalent and popular that uh, that's when we're like, okay, well, what else can we do remote? And then, well, we can also do color remote. And then, oh, that's working really well. Can we... Can we do other other parts of finishing remote? Yes, yeah, we can do finishing and online reviews and, and things like that and title reviews. So, uh, so yeah, I, 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 Cougar Town was the inception. And I, <laughs> I remember the night when I first heard that we're like, okay, we're gonna do this over the internet. Okay, 
Shadow Let's, Yes, exactly. All right. Exactly. Coming back to you me. remember. Coming yeah. back to me. Yeah. Well, and I think it's actually important to note, you guys like only started maybe within a week of each other. Yeah. Yeah. This was like a full journey that went on simultaneously together. Been right. in the trenches, the foxholes through all yep. of this. So where are we now? Uh, leaps and bounds. Uh, even in um, so expansion of what we're doing uh, for geo dailies has become to also provide um, editorial departments with other vendors that are out there in their proprietary systems. We have figured out a way that we can use hardware software that would allow us to kind of go head to head with them and do a workflow that editorial is used to getting. Um, like for their dailies. Um, so basically there's there's two different ones and it all comes down to like the audio for the different um, the different scenes and takes that they're doing. That's the big difference. Where as you're going through, it used to be with Avid, you'd have to deselect, uh, like if you wanted to switch out and have a different like audio, like let's say you want... Um, character B instead of character A's audio, mm -hmm. uh, you'd have to deselect your video and make it, it would be a more cumbersome process. So now what we're able to do is utilize Resolve, which Resolve is centric to a lot of stuff that we do at uh, Digital Film Tree. I love where this is going. And so now we've uh, figured out uh, a workflow uh, that digital film tree uses to provide editorial what they're used to getting, making them even more efficient. Because that's the the end game for editorial, like the, even from back in the days of telecine, that's why post-digitizing came about. It's like, mm -hmm. how can we have our assistant editors not have to focus on digitizing and just having them go in and prep and get the timelines ready for their editorial, mm -hmm. like their editors. I think the, the crazy, amazing, cool thing is that this, again, was totally independent from the pandemic. Yes. If we do dailies, if, we do, uh, if, if we're doing editorial, like NLA is a prime example where we did dailies, we have uh, the edit systems were here for them to be logging into, mm -hmm. same with the storage, color, et cetera, et cetera. It was all behind the curtain, able to manage all of that data. Thomas, you were giving like the thumbs up to like turn someone's system on to push the media over from here yeah. so that you could then do a live color session. But the whole time too, we're processing dailies, we're putting it on, mm -hmm. on their storage overnight, log in. VFX pools, you touched on the fact that like we can do for other vendors what was maybe more cumbersome or not easily enough done for them or it was too time consuming, et cetera, et cetera. But all of that is thanks to GeoPost. Mm -hmm. So like where we are today is, is that's the granularity that I think a lot of folks at home are going to be like, really? You could do that? But yeah. just the overarching difference of like, didn't Cougar Town get dailies on DVDs or something for yeah. a while too? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah so it used to be, yeah, back in the day, it would be, you'd get your, you'd like get on, you know, DVD and then it switched over. And GeoPost has always been there, if not on the front end as well, meaning we have a pod out in the field. We have a pod out in the field to get editorial. So we've always had the back end to get editorial, their media over the internet. Um, whether it's, you know, 
over at like Paramount, you know, the Paramount lot, or whether it's in Fiji, right. you know, we're able to do um, in shows like that. Um, we have two pods, uh, one that's known as our transfer pod and one that's known as our dailies pod to be able to do the process. But I'd say pre-pandemic, our biggest one to talk about was doing RECT, uh, which was uh, on TBS uh, under Turner uh, Broadcasting at the time to do a half hour comedy in Fiji mm -hmm. and um, have the internet speeds that they had. Do you remember those at all? Pain in the ass is one thing you can say, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't, but we were able to do like a proof of concept and say, we are able to take this on. And yeah. we did it for three seasons because actually the first one was in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And we were able to do that with um, another show that switched locations uh, for Turner. Another half hour was the detour that started, I believe, in. Atlanta and then they that. went to Vancouver uh, and then they wanted us to um, help facilitate to push proxy media at the time so we weren't even fully processing dailies mm -hmm. but we were providing them geopost in the sense of being able to provide like the infrastructure the IP infrastructure this is a huge big deal because you Thomas are actually the face of our Verizon 5G video um, which I think is worth diving into because that we actually won. We were one of the top 10 finalists um, and got to partner with Verizon to further expand on this to make our geopods hotspots themselves. Let's take a look at our show Wrecked, for example. The pilot episode was shot in Puerto Rico and the footage was physically shipped to our facility in Los Angeles. We discovered this was not a sustainable solution. And when the show went to series, a remote dailies pod was set up near production offices that allowed us to transfer the camera raw files securely through the internet. Seasons two and three of Wrecked moved to Fiji and we provided the same fully remote workflow that clients enjoyed in Puerto Rico. Verizon 5G will change how we do business, taking us from the transportation stone age to a bold new future and redefine how people collaborate across the world. There are so many challenges in capitalizing on even just tax credits to be able to film in these locations where it's not just that Wrecked needed Fiji or you know chose Fiji as kind of the background for you know Wrecked itself. The the it's about a plane that wrecked. I'm sure I oversimplified it, but it's a really good show. I really, really like it. It's one of my favorites. So. But like you were, uh, it was you who who carried that narrative through, and why. Uh, Verizon picked us to try and to partner with to solve Herculean internet challenges of which many of our shows, many people filming in, in various locations still face it, frankly in parts of Los Angeles where there is still not speeds fast enough or desirable, desirable you know what I'm trying to say, mm -hmm. a desirable speed yeah. by which to have this happen. So, and that's a completely different issue from security. So what is the ideal up-down speeds for a client to have both in the field for the geopod to work and then at home for them to be able to receive and or send files to us? Uh, I would say ideally we'd love, we'd love over 400 up and down. <laughs> yeah, it was like real world, real world. Real world. Um, and so that's another thing. If in real world you can't attain that, we will make a hybrid workflow to assist with what you're 
what your bandwidth is. And I would say with the pandemic, I, I think that's where our industry has to take a hard look at itself to say, okay, I'm a person at home, you can provide security for me and I can get one gig up and down. We're at the studio, I might be only be getting 100 up and down. So I, I think with the, to be able to thrive, I think people see at the studios or on the lots is you have to be able to keep up with the, um, the real bandwidth. world meal. Yeah. The real world. Because it's already, need. right. It's already attainable. And even like the consumer, um, ISPs out there, like your spectrum, your AT&T have to also be able to keep up with that and not charge our industry as a business, but charge it as an individual because you're able to get that as a resident, you know, in an area, you can get better speeds than, you know, some like small post facilities out there. Yeah. The, a little bit, it almost became kind of like a, what did we liken it to? Like a, like a Lyft or Uber for internet providers. Mm -hmm. Like right. if you really want to rent out your own personal internet as a hotspot, great. That was more accessible than yeah. trying to set up these long-term contracts that right. mm -hmm. like require a year, et cetera, et cetera. So what's a good example of one of the shows where we're like the Wi-Fi is just, uh, it was home ec, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And so we had a pod out there. Did we, did we end up using it or was it did we end up with no, the No, we, we did end up using it every day, but if... Um, they were where, Pacoima? Pacoima, yeah. so about 15 minutes. There, there'd be days uh, where um, they just shot so much footage, and now with like 4K resolution plus uh, coming around, um, that like sometimes to be able to like uh, provide card clearance was the biggest hurdle for that show. Mm. So there'd be times where we would just have to Just arrange. for the kids sitting at home in yep. Piedmont, North Dakota? What is card clearance? What is card clearance? <laughs> so um, most of the cameras uh, uh, come with, like when you're shooting, uh, you're either uh, doing it to a drive, as are we in our setup here, or it um, is a media card um, that gets shot. So those cards are transferred to hard drives and then uh, we're able to check in as part of one of the um, processes that we have to go through as GeoDailies is confirming we have all the original camera masters and all of the sound uh, transferred over to our internal storage so that we can say and editorial can say, we've checked everything, you can now have another, like you can clear the cards for the following shoot day. I think this is kind of a good bridge of like, what does dailies actually mean to either of you today? Well, at least for me, it's being able to, at its core, still help the client out being as efficient as possible, like from our workflows, as technology changes and we change with it and digital film trees on the forefront of that, at its core, we're still helping clients get their story out sort of the partnership between the editors, the assistant editors, and our dailies techs mm -hmm. on the daily side, and then, of course, the editors, assistant editors online on the finishing side, and being able to do that from anywhere, you know, with anywhere. Well, I think you touched on earlier that Resolve is really core to our, our dailies mm -hmm. um, 
processing. Can you guys explain when, how, why we made that transition? Because it wasn't always that way, right? No, and this just came about actually within like the last two years and it's thanks to Streeter uh, and Thomas and you know Streeter uh, Streeter is how we lovingly refer to our night ops manager, exactly. Mike Streeter, who you will meet soon enough. To uh, develop out from like the basics, but it, it stemmed from um, the assistant editors wanting to be able to have um, the efficiency of being able to quickly choose what audio they wanted to go with a particular, you know, scene and leading or like a take to lead into a scene as they're going and uh, in, in doing their like putting together the timeline so it can be in the editor's hands and they can make the tweaks that like become the overall scene that you see in the episode. We with um, the way we were originally doing our workflow for dailies weren't able. It was a couple more clicks, but even those clicks because you have to do it so much as an assistant editor, mm -hmm. still became time consuming. So it's like, well, what do we need to do? And how can we work with Resolve, which we already have here? Um, and it allows us to have more computers at our will with the exception of some of our competitors out there where you're limited to one system based mm -hmm. on like their proprietary workflow. Um, you have to do it. It's only on one system with resolve. We're able to run resolve agnostically on, you know, both platforms, PC, sorry, three platforms, PC, um, Mac and, and Linux, you're able to run resolve. And so we can, we can be rendering out the editorial media and syncing across upwards of 30 computers where other facilities can only do one show on one system. Mm -hmm. the, the, the Resolve workflow is really cool. And I think it's just another sort of example of how dailies has just sort of been like in the forge and refined. Like what happened was uh, uh, the real challenge. So when you're working in Avid, and let's say you just have an AE doing syncing dailies. You have two pieces of media. At the end of the day, those two pieces of media need to be relinked for sound finishing and for video finishing. Um, and so what's really interesting is uh, having those two pieces of media in sep as separate pieces, like Aaron said, is sort of a chore for your editors. Because if you're linking back and forth, uh, uh, or rather as you're editing and you want to switch things out, you're going to have to just deselect and select one track or select the videos independent. And so we heard that as a need. And uh, luckily, uh, we work really close with Resolve and uh, have been really fortunate to have a, a good relationship with all the staff there um, and explained, here's what we want, and we want to make one clip that can link back to two separate clips that have independent data. Uh, and we want to make that so it's just really easy for our Avid editors. And then, and then throughout the years, yeah, we've been just poking. Okay, we need this and we need this. And then they'll respond with an update. Okay, great. Now we need this and we need this. And now that all the pieces are in place, you also have the advantage of 
like Karen said, the entire host of optimization that Resolve has. So collaborative workflow, we could have multiple dailies operators working on the same show at the same time, whether it's color syncing or whatever. Um, and then multiple rendering. You know, we can render on any system that has Resolve um, while syncing and things are happening even. So it's just a huge efficiency boost and I think is a really good example of, you know, the editors were a little bit more comfortable with this type of daily. So we said, okay, we'll figure it out and we'll make it happen. When we migrated over to like this new Resolve dailies workflow, uh, we had tested out and like we had one example like where a client called on a Friday night and I remember getting the call. <laughs> You'll be talking to this client in future episodes. But uh, we got a call about audio and like how the um, it wasn't conforming or they were only able to conform like 10 minutes of a 30 minute episode. And so we do like, you know, we do dailies. We do the beginning and we sync the audio and it's synced with like your video. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, that's not our wheelhouse, but I'm going to do everything in my power to help and figure out like what we can do or if there's there are changes that we could go back as digital film tree and help figure it out. Um, I mean, again, senior colorist and chief technology officer. Mm -hmm. uh, for some people, that might make sense of how they're interlaced, but I mean you really do. There's there's not an inch of this building that you don't in some way touch or have architected or help to coax answers out of, be it Rami or Aaron or Greg or any of, like you do often say, just playing devil's advocate here. Yeah, I, I well, so I love, I love being able to play with all the new toys. And I, I love being on that cutting edge, bleeding edge sort of, beta test, we're pretty sure this is going to break, but here, let's see if this will work. And and what's really neat about that is, or for me, is those like aha moments where you get something new and, uh, and, and you're testing it out and you're like, oh, wait, this is going to save us on space, which is going to save us on transfer, which is going to save us on everything else. And, and the thing that kind of immediately comes to mind, again, partnering with Resolve, we had a need where, where we were... I believe, it, I think it was seven years ago, we were finishing on Avid. We weren't finishing solely in Resolve. And we said, we'd really like to finish in Resolve, but we can't keep our camera masters live on our SAN all the time. Too big, takes too much time to transfer. So we worked with Resolve to get a function called trimming, uh, which is traditionally something you would do with camera raw material. And what that does is it lifts out just the frames that you need. So if you have a timeline of clips, you can pull just the frames out. And what's really cool about that is that ended up changing the game for us. It made things smaller, so our sand was much more manageable. It actually unlocked the GeoPost finishing aspect of it because now the package of media that we're sending over the internet is much more compact. Uh, it's just what you need, and um, and it it made it sizable to move in an efficient amount of time. And it, it just was great. And so being the first ones to play with that off of a need that we had, it's now just sort of commonplace where, oh, you've got your online done. I, I think everywhere people are just like, oh, well, we're gonna trim it, of course. We're gonna trim it, make it nice, compact, so that we can work on it efficiently. But I like that when we can play with the cutting edge and we have so many receptive partners, um, 
it's, it's, there's an aha moment always that's like, okay, this is going to change a lot of how we do it, how we do things. It's going to ripple downstream. And so I really like that when we're on that cutting edge. I do like, and I feel like note for Lacan, when he says it unlocked GeoPost, it feels like there needs to be like a level up or something that like <laughs> comes up from his hands. Cause you're right. Like yeah. that changed everything for us. But I, I think that's also kind of a natural segue into, uh, we've talked a lot about GeoDailies, but now I think, uh, and we've talked somewhat about GeoPost and somewhat about GeoFinish, but each of those deserves a little bit more context from each of you because, um, and I, I feel like, uh, Lacan, we should cut to a clip of the librarian from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade because that is quite literally how I see Aaron with like the stamp and like, Aaron, you literally, it's not an overstatement to say that you do have your hands on every bit of media that comes into this house and goes out of this house. Yep. And you are director of content and data security for a reason. We do have our chief information security officer. We do have our infosec analyst, which PS folks at home is not normal for a post house. Uh, I don't actually know that there are other post houses with a CISO, a CISO. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely not with security analysts, like right. Right. Mm -hmm. studios, lots, things like that. That makes sense. But we are a humble little tugboat of a post house in a sea full of cruise ships. But we knew a long time ago that the, the unaired media that our clients are working on has to be protected to the eye teeth. And there was a period during the pandemic where a lot of people were saying like, log on to our webinar, da, 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 and we'll explain how to help you protect your media or work securely from home on consumer internet. And I would tune in to all of these going like, oh, I'm so excited, other people are doing this too. And then they literally, it would boil down to, and to make sure that you're safe, check in with your IT people. Uh, your IT person helps you reset your password. And so here, mm -hmm. literally to the IT, everyone in this office knows to be suspect of PDFs, mm -hmm. of links, of, I don't know, that says tgallion at gbail.com. And so we, it's a, it's a culture. I think Rami even said that in the last episode was that security has to be a culture mm -hmm. and to have gatekeepers like you at the helm, knowing who is using our media shuttle, who is expected to drop things off over the internet or at the door mm -hmm. is huge. So, but trying to unpack GeoPost, because like you said, we're also behind the scenes for a lot of other people. We don't have competition, we yep. have co-opetition. Mm -hmm. Because the number one thing for us when so many places went dark was how do we keep the people working who are working and how do we get people back to work who are not working? And GeoPost was a big part of that and mm -hmm. remains a big part of that. Tell us, how do you, how do you librarian all of that? Well, um, Prior to the pandemic, it was allowing our um, securely allowing our clients to get access to their camera masters. So this started um, back in the days of Angie Tribeca uh, when we were working with them and their visual effects supervisor who um, we'd give them access. They would pull down what they needed um, 
and be able to like do a poll at like, you know, three in the morning. You don't need to schedule um, a IO tech to be able to do that. You can log in securely uh, and that's what GeoPost services provide you is that ability to know that your camera masters are not only backed up redundantly like for protection in that regard if there was a you know natural disaster but it's also secure and that we've always been monitoring security before like a lot of I think before the industry did start receiving a lot more um, hacks if you will so that's what geopost has also evolved over the past couple of years where um, some of our uh, like other facilities out there um, have LTO libraries where basically you're feeding an EDL. It's a poll, but it has to restore from all these LTOs. And probably an episode um, has, I would say, uh, a half hour episode probably has like upwards of 10 LTOs, especially wow. for 4K. So it will have to go and search and go and search and then go and search. And what we're able to provide is working with these vendors. So yeah, they still have that ability to, um, you know, use their LTO libraries, but then they're also able to, um, with our workflow and having us provide the trim that Thomas was talking about, which we're able to, through Resolve, provide a trim, upload it to um, other facilities that might be doing the finishing services we're able to queue that up and overnight so they're able to receive it and they can like prep away again like so now it's a different department it's not the AEs but it's the same functionality it's having that department they receive a VAM package assemble all their media so it's ready to go for the online editor and then scheduling sessions so you can have additional shows lined up and in theory, bring in more work to your facility. Wildly agnostic though. Just yeah. that's, it's insanely flexible. And again, I think that's the core founding principle of all of this is what is it that helps get the client's story out the door? Exactly. And so, and it doesn't matter if you're like a different finishing facility, you're a VFX vendor, you're a promo vendor, you're able to have access to the media or us being able to have a workflow to get you the access to that media so you're able to work with it. That's what GeoPost is. Yeah. Um, both anything to add to that, yeah. and then also tell us everything there is to know about GeoFinish, which oh, includes GeoColor and GeoOnline and GeoVFX and yeah. the sundry. So when you're talking about security, I think what's really cool is that we were very security-minded pre-pandemic, and it kind of started not out of just a need to you know, protect camera masters. A lot of people are hiding camera masters on LTO and hiding them away. Our goal was we don't want to hide it from our clients. We want to give access to our clients, mm -hmm. but we don't want anything stolen. So we need to have a good way to keep all that media secure. And what's it's really interesting uh, just like just like the dailies, we, we found a need and we just kind of hammered on it. And now we're at a point where we're deploying routers in the field. We're monitoring all traffic from endpoints. We're 
access control lists. We can tell what users are downloading things. We can tell if there's packet loss on their line while they're downloading things. So it's really interesting how the security culture evolved originally out of giving access rather than just trying to lock everything down. And I really, I kind of love that um, because like you said, uh, LTOs kind of don't serve a client if they want to look at a camera master right now. Mm-hmm. And, and we can give them a portal to securely download it and know that they're the only ones who can see it. Um, I really like that. So that's, I, I just wanted to touch on that because I thought the, 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 the security aspect of this has evolved greatly, but it wasn't out of a need to lock things down. It was out of a need to give access to the people mm-hmm. that, that should have access. Um, and then internet, you're right. Internet is, uh, the practical reality of GeoPost is we are tied to the internet. And so part of GeoPost or part of the services is helping find internet for productions. Um, so dailies, which requires much more bandwidth than other services, uh, to do over the internet. You know, we, I remember for Fiji looking for that last mile, trying to find a way to get as much internet as possible um, because the practical reality was if they shipped hard drives, it would be, you know, five, weeklies. six days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> weeklies. It would be weeklies, um, which is what they did kind of for the pilot. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a huge mess. And so we were like, okay, we see what you want to do and you want to work efficiently. Let's push this out over the internet. And then, okay, some people maybe don't have that bandwidth, and I'm not talking about Rect specifically, but we'll say, okay, we're going to have a bigger storage pool at your location. We'll have things backed up even better, and then we can do a hybrid workflow, right? Mm-hmm. Half internet, half drives, still getting your editors working as quickly as possible so that there's no downtime for your schedule. So I, I kind of I kind of like that because we're, we're kind of tailoring workflows for every show because we're all a part of the show, it feels like, so... Yep. Anyway, that was my that was my segue there. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, GeoFinish is uh, and 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 color uh, has been kind of an interesting road because it's very similar uh, in the mindset of dailies, right? We're we're working remotely, um, and someone doesn't want to go on the freeway and drive over to DFT for a session, or they don't have enough time off of set. So we'll say, okay we're gonna put a calibrated monitor that has been calibrated next to the monitor in our color bay, and we're going to put a system in the field, and we're gonna know that what you see on your screen is what I see on my screen. And then during a color session, we have a very small connection that is made between the two systems. And what happens with that connection is that any changes that I do to the timeline on my system get replicated on the remote system. And so what's really cool about that is it doesn't require high bandwidth to make that happen. Um, I believe for the show, The 100, we did this over DSL internet, which was crazy, crazy. I mean, we (laughs) over DSL internet, we couldn't push the media over the internet because we would suck up all the internet. So we would send a drive Mm -hmm. and, and we would, you know, overnight a drive and then do remote color for a full show, hour-long show, and have no hiccups. It was great. So 
Um, Just want to make sure that's stressed because anytime that I talk to somebody about that, that we're literally sending commands then yeah. to their system mm -hmm. so that in real time it, it's happening in front of them. It's yeah. almost like Irma at the Magic Castle, the ghost playing the piano. Exactly. Where exactly. You're, you're tinkling the ivories in, in front of them. Yeah. That's and magic. Because what we like to do is, when we're doing finishing, is we don't want to dumb down the source media in any way. Mm -hmm. So when we're working on your project, we're not making an intermediary. Uh, we're not encoding it as something that's maybe more lightweight for a program to work with. If you shoot in RAW, if you shoot in 6K, if you shoot in whatever you shoot in, that's what you're gonna be playing back in your color review session. And if you wanna do that remotely, here's how we do it. You're gonna view it live, it's gonna be full res, no degradation of the image, no streaming nonsense. You're gonna have actual like pixel for pixel quality of, of what, what I have in the bay. Um, and I think this is the really the only way to do it and ensure accuracy is to, to have these two systems linked together, only sending commands. So it's really cool. And now, actually, uh, I forgot to mention that we can now do this with multiple recipients. So um, the new thing we did with NCIS Los Angeles this last season, um, and this was because of the pandemic, is, is we were working from home more on purpose, um, uh, is we had two systems in the field linked to the same timeline. So as I was making changes on one, it was happening on two separate systems. And then we had a, a Zoom meeting so everybody could visually face-to-face -face communicate. And that worked out really well, I think. Yeah, we were late adopters to Zoom, I would say. <laughs> well, I say Zoom. I don't remember if it was Zoom or GoToMeeting. I feel like we've... Or our own. Yeah. <laughs> like, we've done done everything. Yeah. Well, that's actually, that's kind of a, a good way to wrap this up. Uh, yeah, because remember when we were trying our own video conferencing mm -hmm. platform? Mm -hmm. And that is what we do here. Uh, a large chunk of why, uh, as mentioned in the last episode, we're so quiet here at DFT is because we spend our time, our energy, and our funds on developing new services that will outlast any other kind of, you know, whether it be the pandemic, whether it be traffic, whether it be any of these things where we're just trying to solve pain points and client problems that become hurdles to actually getting their story out. Um, with that, this is episode 102 with Thomas Gallion and Aaron White. We look forward to the next one. Thank you for joining us. Anything? Uh, nose goes. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Yeah, See you thank next you. time. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>